Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Nuss, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley with a new recreation map you'll hear about later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department reminds Oregonians to enjoy the outdoors this summer, seek uncrowded areas, know their limits, and don't just be careful, be insanely careful with campfires or any flames. Well, that's good advice anytime, but it's worth noting this summer that a majority of the Oregon campsites have already banned campfires. Okay, in this podcast, we are going to talk about a new trail that takes hikers and bikers all the way from the Willamette Valley through the Coast Range and out to the Ocean Beach on a 60-mile route that has been four decades in the making. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, today we are joined by a special guest to talk about the grand opening of a longtime dream, the Corvallis to Sea Trail. First conceived way back in 1974, the idea has finally become a reality thanks to years upon years of work by the nonprofit C2C Trail Partnership. The 60-mile trail connects Corvallis to Ona Beach, which is just south of Newport, and people are actually out hiking it right now. We're going to talk to the president of the C2C Trail Partnership, Gary Chapman. He'll break down what you can expect on the C2C Trail, the best time of year to do it, what permits you'll need, and where to get a good map. He also dives into the history of just how this kind of unique trail came to be. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story, and the trail itself is pretty interesting as well. It's open year-round and really highlights the Coast Range, a place not many people explore on a regular basis, and it uses a combination of trail, roads, decommissioned Forest Service roads to make this route complete. You'll hear Gary reference this a few times, but if you want a backpack or bike ride on the trail, head to c2ctrail.org for maps, notes, and all the things you really need to know to make a trip out here. All right, without further ado, here's Gary Chapman talking to us from his home in Corvallis. All right, well, today we are joined by Gary Chapman, president of the Corvallis to the Sea Partnership, to talk about a new 60-mile trail that connects the Willamette Valley to the Oregon coast. Gary, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So to start, Gary, can you describe the route a little bit? So if you're starting in Corvallis, where is the trail going to take you? What are you going to see along the way? What, what are the big highlights here? Well, we're starting in Corvallis. <clears throat> you're sort of in, a, in an urban area. You hike or bicycle on a local multi-use path for about six miles west to the smaller town of Philomath. And uh, same thing through Philomath on <clears throat> bike paths, sidewalks, city streets. And once you get west of Flomath, you're on a mix of uh, different types of surfaces, county roads, some gated roads that where there's no traffic, uh, some Forest Service trails. Decommissioned Forest Service roads are a big deal. And then there are some new trails that we build on Forest Service lands. Once you leave the urban and sub- suburban areas, they, you enter a mix of commercial timberlands and national forest lands. 
see a wide array of uh, timber ages, especially on uh, on the commercial lands. Uh, you know, very young plantations uh, planted after logging, uh, up through plantations 30 to 50 years old of trees, 30 to 50 years old. Uh, forest service land, you'll see a, a broader array of ages, including some older trees up to possibly 150 years old, dating back probably to uh, the Great Yaquinta burn back in around 1850. Gotcha. So is the once you get out of the urban and suburban area, the primary place that you're that you're hiking is that coast range forest. And but it's not, you know, the primeval coast range. It's it's, uh, you know, been managed over the years. Some of it's been logged. And, and is, the, is that kind of part of the experience is getting this real taste of you know oregon this of the, of the coast range oh that's absolutely part of the experience uh for one thing every place uh you see fairly recently logged lands that's where people like to stop uh, eat lunch take a break because that's the places where you have some sort of a view uh once you get into the into the forest service lands where the timber is thicker and, and bigger uh because you're below timberline, of course, in the close range, uh, they don't really have any views. So people really uh, come to enjoy the the logged off areas until they get about uh, 10 to 15 years old, and then the trees get big enough that you can no longer you know see the views. So that's uh, that is a is a big part of the trail. Gotcha, and it also you also go past you know. Um... You know some farm, some farmland, and and then make your out, way out onto the beach, correct? So where where do you actually, you know, get through the coast range and then come out onto the onto the coast itself? Well, actually, about thirty miles to the west, you get into the Big Elk River Valley. So agricultural lands and ranches with sheep, cattle, and hay. It's very picturesque. Mm -hmm. uh, at that thirty mile point is the Big Elk Campground. It's an old Forest Service campground. It's operated by the Harlan community. It has toilets, water, firewood, and a dedicated area for hiker and bicycle camping that, that we put in about uh, five or six years ago. This is the only place on the trail where campfires are allowed. And uh, actually right now, the fires are banned there too because of fire danger. Then beyond that, uh, you get back into the Coast Range Mountains again and the trail splits. The bicycles take a route primarily on open Forest Service roads, and hikers enter Forest Service lands on a mixture of new trails and older decommissioned roads. I know, I know that people have started doing this route. Um, how are they typically choosing to experience the trail? I mean, do you are you hearing about people mostly doing four to five day backpacking trips? Do you have a lot of people biking it? Like, what's the mix of the way people are using the trail so far? Well, what we see really are primarily three groups. We see hikers doing the whole thing in three to five or six days. We see bikers doing the whole thing in one or two days. And then we see hikers just going out primarily for day hikes on one section or another. Some people just do it as a section at a time. They just start at the east end and, and do a day hike. And then in another week or two, they'll go out and do the next section, et cetera, until they've done the whole thing. So it's pretty much that mix of, of those three groups, through bikers, through hikers, and day hikers. Gotcha. Are there a lot of good spots to, to camp? 
out there? Like, how do, how do people typically do that? Like, are there designated sites? Are there a lot of obvious dispersed sites? Or how are people actually spending the night once they're out on the trail? That's a, that's a good question. And it's one that's still being answered. There's just that one dedicated uh, site at Big Oak Campground uh, 30 miles out. Uh, you can only camp on Forest Service lands. And it's a, pat, it's a patchwork of, of public and private ownership out there. So you have to pay attention to the maps and see where the Forest Service land is. Forest Service says uh, dispersed camping. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, there, so some people are very disappointed that they, they don't see any obvious places to camp. There's nothing designated. There's no just, oh, you know, this is such a beautiful place to camp. Uh, you have to you have to pick them out, uh, so, and generally, of course, you want to camp fairly close to where there's water. So that sort of dictates uh, where you don't camp if you don't have any, enough water. So it's yeah, it's uh, we have places where we normally camp almost all the time when we take take the outings uh, when we when we do it on our own or whether we have uh, some supported hikes, which we've done a few times. So it's mainly dispersed camping, but it's sort of catch as catch can. And we ask, uh, for, of course, for no trace camping. And, uh, and we'll just see how it goes uh, as the trail becomes more popular. Gotcha. And it sounds like there's pretty decent access. Like, it's not like the Pacific Crest Trail where, you know, you're locked in for a long ways without any road access and segments. I mean, there's pretty good. It sounds like there's pretty good road access so you can get, you know, to points and set up shuttles and stuff like that. Is that accurate? Yeah, the the access is really quite good, uh, which is uh, helpful for supported hikes, which uh, have been become more popular. We get a group of four or five people and uh, somebody that's willing to drive a sag wagon and uh, we'll meet them every morning and, and and night and or camp with them even and so they just do uh, you know basically day pack hikes and then have the have their camping material brought to them uh i don't particularly like that myself but uh but it's something that that people do i think the farthest you get from probably a road head uh, on the trail might be four miles three or four miles so you're never very very remote but some of the locations are far enough away that if the trail isn't isn't heavily used and something happens to you, you may not uh, may not get any help for for quite some time. And it depends on the cell phone service, which is spotty, although it's getting better all the time. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. What have you heard from people who've tried it so far? What have they said they like about it? What do they say that, you know, might be not as cool? What, I mean, in general, what are you what are you hearing from people who, who have started doing this? Because this is just this is pretty new that this whole route has been open. So what, what have been the reviews so far and what's been the feedback like? 
it's uh, been kind of gratifying, really. People have been, uh, you know, very praise praiseworthy of it. Uh, I think one of the uh, one of the main things we've heard from people is how well signed the trail is. I've had a couple of people make comments that it was so well signed. The fact that they didn't have a good map didn't make any difference because they didn't need a map. Um, but we are coming up with new, we do have a new map that will be, I should get it in the mail next week and we'll be giving those away at our, at our grand openings. So I think that will take care of the, of the map problem and hopefully eventually uh, we'll have more uh, GP, GPS type tracks uh, available on our website or elsewhere. So let's let's jump back in time. This is a pretty audacious idea. So where was the idea for this trail first hatched and, and started to get momentum? Like, where are the origins of it? Well, you know, my theory on this is that uh, the idea really got going right after World War II when the uh, Shriners were holding an event on top of Mary's Peak called the, the Mary's Peak Trek. It was a barbecue picnic stage show. Uh, to raise funds for the uh, Shriners Hospital. And so there were thousands of people going up there for a weekend every every August. And of course, many of them hiked to the top and they looked out and looked out over the, over the valley to the east and all the way to the ocean to the west and uh, thought, you know, it'd be, uh, be cool to have a trail that, uh, that would allow you to walk all the way from the valley to the coast. And so I think it's sort of percolating then uh, back in uh, 1974, it was uh, a forestry student at Oregon State University, a guy named Marty Wong, went to a, a class that was uh, taught by a fellow named Phil DeLucci, who was a landscape architect at the Sayusa National Forest. And he, he asked what sort of a, an internship might be available. And, uh, and Phil told him, well, we're looking for somebody to to see about laying out a route from Corvallis to the to the coast for Corvallis to the Sea Trail. So maybe you'd like to take that on. And so spring quarter of uh, 1974, uh, he did some explorations and wrote a little report and gave and on a map, put a map out. And then Phil uh, put a cover memo on it and sent it around to the Forest Service and Lincoln County and Benton County and Oregon Department of Parks. And uh, that sort of got the idea going. So there's a lot of effort then for the next 10 years by all of those groups trying to get, to get a trail route across uh, across there. It, it never worked out. I think basically it was a problem with the, you know, the, the people trying to get the trail and the Forest Service and the BLM and the private landowners, they just didn't trust each other enough to, uh, to say, yeah, let's go ahead and try to do this. So it, that fell apart in uh, 1984. Then in 1991, the Forest Service again went to the university and asked several classes uh, to come up with some potential hiking and biking routes. Uh, and so they did. And there are a couple of reports from that. Uh, but nothing much happened for a couple of years. And then the Bureau of Land Management and the Forest Service since entered into a memorandum of understanding that they would look into the trail and hopefully have it built by 1997. And uh, that MOU, that Memorandum of Understanding, uh, terminated in 1997 without any, uh, any, anything to show for it on the ground, actually. I think probably there the problem was it had a million dollar price tag. And I think with the forest uh, 
the harvest cut on the on the federal lands diminishing. There just wasn't there weren't enough funds to actually seriously undertake the project. So that was it until 2003. Then um, a fellow named Jerry Davis, who was the Benton County Parks Director, and he'd been involved with the efforts in the 1990s. He called a meeting of uh, some trail-oriented people at the county offices in in March of 2003, and that led to the formation of our group. Uh, so it, we studied all that all that material and uh, took all the advice we could get and. Uh, just started uh, proceeding to try to get a route laid out to get people on board to get our permission from private landowners, and gradually it it came it came to be. It's it sounds like it was a very piecemeal thing. I mean, is that what it felt like uh, during this you know most recent effort for since two thousand three? Was it you know okay now we've got this segment and we've got permission and and we've got that and now it's moving on to this next next segment was it did it feel like kind of this 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 you know uh building that you're kind of building brick by brick yeah pretty much uh it's a it's a linear chain uh and so you know you have uh, you have breaks here and there and, and so you're working on the most likely way of uh you know making connections and uh, that's that's very much what it was like. And then occasionally we'd get a surprise and get a new connection that we weren't even aware was was feasible. And somehow it it worked out, you know, that, that we knew somebody who knew somebody else, and and conversations began. And uh, so not only did we get the trail, we actually got got improvements from time to time. Gotcha. How important, I mean, when you describe it, it sounds like a, a big combination of, you know, there's trail and then there's decommissioned roads and then there's regular roads. How much of this was just being able to to string those things all together in a way that that made sense? Was that the, was that the biggest challenge or was it getting access across those areas or what was the biggest challenge of making this route a reality? Well, first of all, mainly on the private lands, it was just getting permission and finding roads that basically went east to west and didn't wander about north to south to add more and more miles to the to the route. Uh, so you know, it was, it was on private lands. It was getting getting permission to use nice nice and feasible roads uh, that would take us to uh, to public lands where we could either use existing or decommissioned roads or where we'd explored and found that we we could build a reasonable trail so it was uh, it was a, a sequence of events of you know getting the getting the private connections that we needed and then snooping out uh, the uh, the best route on the on the federal lands did it feel like you were kind of banging your head on a on a brick wall and just sort of waiting it for it to break? Because it just it sounds like there's so many starts and stops and highs and lows to this process. I mean, how did you stick with it for for all of those years? Was it just an enthusiasm for the idea? Well, that's a good question. I guess I guess I'm uh, stubborn. I guess I'm surrounded by a few stubborn people that uh, that share my share my senses. But I guess the big thing was that it's, it was such a physically it was such a simple thing. I mean, mm. there shouldn't be any problem of uh, you know, putting in a trail from from here to the coast. It was just a matter of you know making it happen. 
And uh, that only in, involved, you know, convincing people that uh, it was a good good thing. It wasn't going to cause any any harm. And secondly, convincing ourselves that we could actually come up with the trail route uh, that would actually that would work for us that we could build and maintain. So uh, I, I think, and of course, you know, once once you put five years into something and then ten years into something. And, uh, you realize you may only have five or 10 years left in your life anyway, uh, you may as well uh, double up on it and see if you can't make it happen. Our newest sponsor is Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean beach, ancient forest, and scenic rivers just a short drive from the Willamette Valley. To help visitors plan a trip, they recently launched a fantastic trails and recreation map where you can search up to 800 different hikes, boat ramps, or adventures right near towns such as Rockaway Beach, Manzanita, and Tillamook. It's a great way to find a ton of places you may have never heard of. So say you're staying in Pacific City, but you're looking for a quieter experience. Just hop on the map and search all the spots nearby. One that pops up is a favorite of ours, Sitka Sedge State Natural Area. It's just a short drive from Pacific City, but offers a quiet hike through an estuary forest land and out onto a beautiful beach with views of Haystack Rock to Cape Lookout. This is a map that gives you better options to enjoy your trip. You can find it online at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Do you have a favorite part of the trail or a, a favorite, you know, segment of miles? That's a good question. Yeah, I think the easy answer is no. Uh, I've got lots of favorite areas. And I might probably several of my favorites are not the same as some of the other volunteers' favorites. Uh, we'll talk about that times. So I say I really like Grant Creek. You know, that's maybe it's because it was the first section that we built on the on the western half maybe it's because it was one of the more difficult sections uh but i really like it uh one of the decommissioned roads 3127 up by palmer mountain is, is what i think is, is a very picturesque area of the trail uh so that's one of my favorites but uh i, I, well, I guarantee you none of my None of the urban areas and uh, and road shoulders are my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> well, what makes that area so nice? Is it the is it the green forest and then the open views and kind of feeling that sort of classic Oregon experience? Or what makes that part uh, so nice for you? Well, for, part of it is how good some of the difficult parts to build, how good, how well they turned out. Uh, another is how some of the views off the hillsides uh, where the timbers sort of open larger timber but you can see through it and you have views into the distance uh in one case it's uh, the little stream that you cross it's just uh, you know a babbling brook it's uh it makes you feel more like you're in the mountains and not sometimes when you're on some of the high ridges and it's pretty dry so i, I water is life and uh and and I just and I enjoy the, the the small creeks when you cross those. Tell me about coming out to the actual coast after going through the mountains. Um, first of all, where where do you come out, and, and is there an experience of you know going from the forest and then coming out on the beach, or do you have to kind of go through some you know coastal urban areas before you before you pop out and get that get that moment out there? Right now, we uh, pretty much stay in the in the timber until about two miles from Ona Beach. And at that point, we hit uh, a paved county road called, it's Beaver Creek, North Beaver Creek Road. 
So we're on the shoulders of that road for the last two miles. Uh, one of the things is, as you, you know, eventually, as anybody who goes from the valley to the coast knows, eventually you feel the coast, you feel it in the air. Uh, and so that happens first, you know, maybe five or 10 miles away from the coast. And then pretty soon you smell, you can smell the ocean, you smell the coast. And then finally, you actually hear, you can hear the surf, or in some cases here, you just hear the traffic on Highway 101. <laughs> but you, you, know, you, you know you're almost there. Uh, so, and I've been fortunate that all three times I've done the backpack that I've arrived on sunny weather. It's always been nice. It's either been in, in June or in August. And so that's been a, a, a pleasant surprise too. Uh, one time I hiked up the, I spent an extra day and hiked up the, uh, hiked up the beach to, uh, to Newport as a sixth day on my hike. Uh, so that, that was pleasant too, but, but yeah, you do, you do break out, but it's, uh, it, you, it's, you don't you don't come out of the trees to the sand. We we do have that uh, two mile transition along along the North Beaver Creek Road. Gotcha. Okay, so logistics wise, so say somebody's listening to this and it sounds appealing, and it definitely does sound appealing. What what are the things they need to know in advance? So first of all, what what's what are good seasons to do this, and what about permits and, and maps and stuff like that? How would you go about? setting up a trip if you wanted to do this? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is look at our website, uh, make sure and check all of our uh, all of our alerts on closures and that sort of thing. Next, we're getting into a very dry season and at any time, one or more of, a, of our, our, our private landowners uh, could, could ask us to close the trail. So you have to check our website. That's really important. Gotcha. Uh, as far as permits, there's one permit that's required. It can be obtained uh, by calling Starker Forest. The numbers on our website. Uh, those are the, those are the two main things. The, another thing to be aware of is that there's not a lot of water along this trail, uh, and our new maps will indicate areas where water is most reliably found. But as you get into late August and September, especially the last couple of years, the weather we've had. We're not absolutely positive that all those all those sites will have water. We'll try to keep people posted on those, but we don't go out every week and check every one because we don't have that many volunteers. To be frank, we'd be be much better if uh, if people can uh, can alert us uh, to problems with with water if if they find them. Well, on that on that subject, you know, you talk about you know f- you know fire closures. And, uh, you know, getting water, it feels like, you know, the spring might be the best time to, to do this route. I mean, that's when I've always loved the coast range most of all. But are, is there any snow impediments? I mean, would you say that is spring kind of like the, the best time to do it? Spring is absolutely the best time to do it. Uh, probably May and June. Uh, for The days are longer. So you have, uh, you have more time to, to, to hike before you have to set, set up camp and break camp. Now that's that's a benefit. The streams have more more flow. Uh, the flowers are more prolific, so the the scenery is nicer. Uh, it's not so hot, 
that's not over the 90, 95 degrees, although this last June was uh, perhaps a, an exception to that. But th yeah, there's no question that if I, if, I were, if I were setting up a hike, I would probably be doing it uh, sometime between Memorial Day and the 4th of July. Gotcha. Well, I'm curious how you feel like this trail fits in among the longer trails in Oregon. So, you know, you've got the Pacific Crest Trail, which stays, you know, that's a very wilderness, you know, mountains, rugged centric route. Then you've got the Oregon Coast Trail that is, you know, follows the coast. It's sort of rugged, but you're also in towns a lot. It's a little bit more civilized. Is this kind of somewhere in between or how do you feel like it fits in with Oregon's, you know, longer routes? I'm glad you said in between. It does fit in between. Um, you know, I've done long hikes in the, on the Pacific Crest Trail and in the Wallawas, you know, and I love the volcanic peaks and the rocky ridges of the, of the Wallawas. Uh, you don't, you don't have that on the, on the, in the coast range, but in some places you have row upon row upon row of, of hills receding off into the distance, uh, which I find, uh, more attractive in some respects than the, than the great distances and the big um, monoliths and edifices. Uh, what, for another thing, it's a, you can do it year round. Uh, we're not blocked by snow. We, we do get a little snow uh, for sure in the Mary's Peak area. And on the odd occasion, you may find, uh, it, you know, down to a thousand feet or even when you have snow on the valley floor, you'll have, you'll have snow everywhere on the, on the C to C trail. But, it doesn't last long usually, uh, so it, it's not it's not a, an impediment to actually using the trail. And one of the things we found early on, when we were exploring for uh, for trail routes, is uh, we would do a lot of exploration in the winter. And a lot of times in the winter, you know, the days here in the valley when it's what I call winter dismal. You know, the the seems like the ceiling's about a hundred feet, gray, damp dim you go up in the coast range and voila the sun's shining there's blue sky broken clouds it's 10 degrees warmer pardon that yeah you could do it in the winter and uh, you know especially the people that do it in the summer and do it in three days uh they could probably watch the weather reports and 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 do and pick three good good days in the winter and do the whole thing and uh, no problem and I, I guarantee you there'd be plenty of water in the stream beds too and of course, bicycles—they uh, can do it all in one day, anyway. So you pick a good day, and and you're off. So it's it's there year-round. I think that's one of the one of the benefits of, of the CDC trail. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about like the the popularity of this. Now we had a we had a guy who wrote a who did the hike, and he he wrote a piece for us. And you know when we posted it, like it it got a lot of attention. Um, even uh, Nick Kristoff with the New York Times, and whom apparently might be a candidate for governor in Oregon, you know, tweeted out a lot of enthusiasm. So, have you felt that enthusiasm? And as people become aware of it, like. Do you, I mean, is this going to become a really popular spot, do you think? That's a interesting, uh, interesting thing to think about. It's certainly one that we've thought about a lot. Uh, it was interesting, you know, a couple of years ago when we talk about our project and this and the sea to sea trail, uh, probably 80% of the people that we happened to might mention to didn't have any idea what we were talking about. And now people, you know, almost uniformly know what we're talking about. Uh, people will even, uh, I, my, my license plate is C2CTRL. 
and people will come up and say, "Oh, you're with you're with the Cavalls to the Sea Trail, you know, cool that sort of thing." So it's it definitely got you know, it's just up it's up on everybody's radar list now. I'd say our our uh, our recognition is probably up one or two orders of magnitude compared to what it was a couple of years ago. So the trail will become more popular. Much will depend on what sort of feedback people see in 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 print uh, on, on Facebook, uh, on you know that sort of thing. Uh, how many positive and negative vibes we get. Our our main concern is uh, impact on camping areas. You know, trying trying to keep no trace camping and dispersed camping uh, amidst uh, increased popularity. That's going to be that's going to become one of our big issues. As far as maintenance is concerned, I don't think it'll make much difference. Mother Nature causes most of our maintenance needs. So whether we have a hundred people or a thousand people on the trail. Uh, the trail itself probably won't show much different impact. Matter of fact, a thousand people might actually help us because they may, that's 2000 boots. And, and so that'll help, you know, sort of keep some of the vegetation down a little bit, but uh, camping locations and, and, uh, and popularity will be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Well, it's kind of exciting, I think, because, you know, a lot of the stories that I've been writing recently have been about places getting too crowded. And I think there's a clear recognition that we need more trails, especially in, in the northwest part of Oregon. And I love that you've taken advantage of the Coast Range because I've always felt that, you know, the Coast Range of all the mountains in Oregon are the most underused and, and underappreciated because everybody goes to the Cascades, they'll even go all the way out to the Wallawas and they won't think about you know these mountains that are right in a lot of our back doors so I'm, I'm excited for people to get more of that coast range experience and i think this is this is a great way to do it so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm excited and i know a lot of of other people are as well um anything else we should know about the the corvallis to the sea trail um other things people should consider or you know anything else well yeah, we. I'd like to see people, more people, come out and do day hikes. Uh, I I can appreciate the the concept of the through hike, you know, Corvallis to the sea or the sea to Corvallis, and the, the accomplishment and the feeling of having done that. And that's a, that's an important thing. But I think you can learn to appreciate, as you said, you learn to appreciate the Coast Range more if you just go out and and take some of our take some of the day hikes. Be, be a little more leisurely. You're not pressed to get from point A to point B and set up camp and that sort of thing. And I think uh, you can really appreciate what the trail gives you much more by looking at it up close and personal on, on day hikes. And would, where would you do that? Uh, do you, I mean, are there, is there a segment or, you know, is it broken up on the map into like specific areas that you think would make, Oh, this would, this would be a really good, like six mile day hike or 10 mile day hike. I, do you, any, any recommendations there? Oh, absolutely. I, I could sit down with anybody over a cup of coffee and cup of tea and probably give them a half a dozen ideas uh, right off the top of my head. What I hope we have uh, very soon on our website is uh, some form of, some form of proposing uh, some of the better day hikes to people, whether it becomes, whether it be like, uh, this is volunteer, uh, 
Gary Chapman or Raleigh Bauer or somebody's uh, recommendation for a day hike, or maybe we'll just put them on there and say, here are six of the most popular day hikes, parking locations, and that sort of thing. I think we need to promote it. Gotcha. Well, I feel like if, if people get out there and, and they enjoy it, you know, we're going to find a way to, to, to keep it going. So, yeah, this is uh, Gary Chapman. This, he's president of the Corvallis to the Sea Partnership. Thanks so much for both putting this trail together and your time today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you like what you heard, check out our catalog of what is now over 40 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesomejournal.com slash explore. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and even Spotify. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast, a great place to plan your outdoor adventure with the help of their new recreation map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next edition on the Explore Oregon podcast.